This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this Friday, October 21st, we welcome you to Real Talk and we thank you on this 500th episode. It's hard to believe coming up on our two year anniversary, the live studio audience loves it. And there is an energy in the building today, an energy coursing through this new studio that I'm having a hard time uh, putting my finger on. It's an exciting morning for us as, as we celebrate uh, the inception of this show, the grassroots that have kept us moving on our journey, the audience that joins us every day, either live or later, as we say. And, if, and of course, John, today we're going to celebrate some of the most memorable moments I can't wait. that we've seen here on the show. I had amazing. a hard time narrowing these down because there's been a lot. It was down to the wire this morning. You're like, this one, uh, this one. Uh. Yeah, we were picking and choosing, and, and uh, we had to leave a few on the cutting room floor, which is always really good, and, and we're not calling this our best of. So we're not going to lead off. And don't worry, we're going to talk a ton of provincial politics today. We're going to get into some of the top stories making news. Uh, the team from Navigator is going to join us. They released some data. This is really interesting stuff, and I'm glad we were able to nail them uh, down and, and commit them to our Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber today. Uh, they've put uh, a study together, Alberta's Mindset, the race to 2023, and they've been polling Albertans across the province, urban, rural, different age demographics. We'll get into it. Their initial impressions of Premier Daniel Smith's tenure in office, their initial impressions of opposition parties right now, and Western Canadians, in particular, Albertans' top political priorities. So we're going to spend some time digging into that today. Should be really interesting stuff. Premier Smith will be naming her cabinet today. So people will be keeping a keen eye on what that looks like. Is, is Casey Madu getting promoted like it sounds like he might to deputy premier, uh, to minister of justice uh, back into that portfolio? Is, is Minister Shandro's fate up in the air? Will he be getting a promotion? Uh, Shandro able to navigate the politics moving from the, the Kenny uh, tenure into the Smith tenure. People are wondering who the new Minister of Health is going to be. Could it be Brian Jean? There's some rumors around that. So this is something that we'll be keeping an eye on today uh, as that develops. And then, of course, we're going to wrap up the show with Trash Talk. We've got some great ones, including, John, a follow-up to our conversation about the greatest Canadian band of all time. Oh, yes. Although I don't, we didn't say greatest. What did we say? Most popular or the highest selling Canadian band of all time? I think we said band because, obviously, artist, you're talking about Drake, Justin Bieber, those are the top two for Tough sure. To but in terms of rock band, yeah, we're. I think you nailed it when we had the conversation. But we we'll, figured we'll give you the numbers. Okay, we'll you you've got numbers. some of the numbers. We'll the numbers. get to that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, so we want to take a look back. We want to celebrate uh, some of the greatest or, or most memorable real talk moments. That's going to be coming up in just a bit. Today is also a chance for us to celebrate the support of of partners that have been with us from the uh, inception of this show when the show is just an idea. The ones that have ensured that we've had what we needed support wise to bring you this show every single weekday. And that includes the team at Friesen Brothers, family-owned since 1955. Friesen Brothers, through their 16 Alberta locations, is proud to put good food on family tables. And, of course, that includes, in just over a week from now, the 15% off special on the first of the month. If you don't have plans 
on October 29th or 30th. We want to let you know it's coming up in just about a week from now. Friesen Brothers presents their annual Oktoberfest feast featuring all of the German culinary highlights you'd expect. It's an all-you-can-eat affair at the Friesen Brothers Fresh Market stores in Stony Plain, that beautiful South Edmonton location, Fort Saskatchewan, Drumheller, Peace River, and Hinton Hill. You can find out more details at Friesen.com. Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge is your home for the best selection of the Ram 1500 lineup. That's Canada's most popular pickup truck and motor trends back-to-back-to-back truck of the year what more can we say plus the grand cherokee the best-selling suv in north america's history you'll find the best jeep selection around at st albert and sherwood dodge you can shop them online or in person today if this spring if this winter season into the spring is going to look like maybe a time of renewal for you might we suggest canada's open university you can find it online at AthabascaU.ca. Athabasca University offers world-class accredited online programs and courses. The number one benefit is flexibility. You learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. It means if the family's going to be traveling, if you need to take some time off, if you want to take some time off, if something pops up, heck, that's real life. You're not falling behind. You're dictating the pace and the schedule of your post-secondary experience. You can learn more about the admissions program today at AthabascaU.ca. So, John, there's been a lot of highlights uh, through these 500 episodes, and a lot of them have happened Mm -hmm. off the show. A lot of them have happened off YouTube, off the podcast. I think of uh, our Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic, where we raised $50,000 for some worthy charities in St. Albert and and saw more than 20 teams out there skating. We had Mm -hmm. a fantastic time. Who will forget one of our participants, one of our players, a a young fella, late 40s, early 50s, going into cardiac arrest on the ice and attendees at the tournament saving his life yeah. uh, using a defibrillator performing CPR we had we had a, a nurse from the Royal Alexandra Hospital she's also a star hockey player yeah uh, she joined us on the show to tell the story firsthand she was one of those that saved his life how do we not name that a highlight mm-hmm. or what about the real talk golf classic supporting the the real talk Julie Rohr scholarship and, and, and the people that joined us out there through through eight holes <laughs> until, the, down, until the monsoon fun. hit eight <laughs> holes there and, and of course again twenty five thousand dollars raised for the scholarship and then meeting Umahami Bombaywala on the show, the the recipient, the first ever recipient of that scholarship. I mean, that was amazing amazing for us. You know, we've been able to meet community contributors. We've been able to to hold elected officials to account. Uh, I think of, you know, the former CEO of Husky Energy joining us on the show. This didn't, this is one of the ones that didn't crack the top five for most memorable, but but, uh, Art Price, if I remember off the top of my head, if that was his name uh, correctly, former CEO of Husky Energy saying we don't need more pipelines yeah uh, saying we've got the capacity we need everybody in industry knows this nobody in politics talks about it we don't need more pipelines that was an example mm-hmm. of an interview i went wow but we put some thought into this and we wanted to bring you back to to five of the most memorable moments here on this show through 500 episodes at number five this is one of the only interviews we've done mm-hmm. in water uh this is john mark earl uh, you have to follow him on instagram uh, he believes, he really, really buys into and lives uh, the theory, the idea, understanding the benefits of cold water. I'm talking cold water. <laughs> and every morning, this guy submerges himself into the Peace River. Uh, he brought his son along for the ride as he took an axe, 
crashed through the ice and then, uh, well, took us all into it live on the air. So I broke this ice maybe uh, 15 minutes ago, and there's already a little layer that's on the top. So we're out as far as we're going to go here now. We're just going to get down in. I've never done this before with a microphone, so... So you can see behind us, that's the town of Peace River. So what happens when you come into the water is your body goes into a pretty intense reaction to it. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty intense reaction to it. I can see. With the understatement of the year, that was John Mark Earl, and I loved his son. His son's just sitting there going, oh, oh, oh. We're watching that from the comfort of our studio, but uh, that was a moment that uh, the Real Talk audience uh, responded to in a huge way. That was number five. Number four on our list of most memorable moments through the first 500 episodes. Who will ever forget High Rivers Mayor Craig Snodgrass joining us on January 19th of 2021? It's pretty rare when an elected official tells you who they voted for in a provincial or federal election. But that's exactly what Mayor Snodgrass did. And then he told us why. They made so many false promises. And and, uh, and I'll give you my own. I'll be straight up with you. Um, I did not vote for... Um, Jason Kenney at the last election. I voted NDP because of the candidate that we had down here. I believed he was the right person. And I did not vote for Jason Kenney because at the time, in my opinion, he was just full of shit. (laughs) Leaving nothing to the imagination. (laughs) Mayor Craig Snodgrass let us know why he voted NDP. Uh, That interview sent ripples (laughs) through this province's pond, as you can well imagine. Number three on our list of most memorable moments, uh, when the statement was made, it did not land with a big bang, but the residual impact was impossible to ignore. Real Talk secured exclusive interviews with Mayors Amarjeet Sohi and Dr. Jody Gondek the morning after both of them were elected to office in Alberta's most recent municipal election. Mayor Gondek used the opportunity to tell us about her top priority once she rolled up her sleeves and got to work. We have had the opportunity to declare uh, climate emergency for years. We have had various um, documents presented to us as a council, and I think we've had more than enough time to review them. So let's get serious. Let's declare this and let's start going after some of the capital that we will see flow in once we make a bold move like that. A bold move, declaring a climate emergency, Calgary's new mayor's number one order of business. Now, this prompted a response from a ton of business advocacy groups. Of course, the Calgary uh, Chamber of Commerce was quick to respond to that. Gondek's political opponents quick to respond to that. Provincial and federal politicians had something to say about it. And of course, other media outlets honed in on this. That remains our second most downloaded episode of Real Talk through 500. I hope that somebody takes it down and knocks it to number three, four, five, and ultimately, John, yeah. out of the top 10 <laughs> as the show continues to grow. Number two on my list, your list might be different, and we'd love to see them. You can send them into talk at ryanjesperson.com. Back on January 13th of 2021, we featured a real talk roundtable that included country music star Corb Lund. 
Corb has been leading the charge or at least contributing a great deal of his efforts to the uh, movement to stop coal exploration in the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains. Now, the roundtable was great. And if you'd like to go back and listen to it, it ages well. The issues that were issues then remain issues now. But it was after the roundtable where we had that really memorable moment. Corb Lund stuck around. He was still watching the show after the roundtable had wrapped. Now, here's what made it really interesting. The power had gone out at his ranch. He had a couple candles burning around him to light his garage where he was checking in from. He was zooming into the show using his phone, and he took us up. He accommodated our request to have him play a tune live. This is my prairie. This is my home. And I'll make my stand here And I'll die alone They can drill and they can mine All my smoldering bones This is my prairie And this is my home That was a pretty special moment My water's poison my calves are all dead. My children are sick. The aquifers bled. They want a big pipeline right through Pops Grove. This is my prairie. This is my home. That was Corblund live on Real Talk, January 13th of 2021. Now, others may have different memories of uh, the most memorable or the most impactful interview on Real Talk. I mean, how am I not including my dad? I was just thinking joining me in studio. Throw him in there. If I'm going to do my personal most memorable Real Talk moments, they've got to be you know the top five, including my dad sitting across the table from me. Emotional day. Talking about medicine, talking about retirement, talking about Parkinson's, Mm -hmm. talking about a ton of stuff. My mom watching from the door, me trying to hold it all together. I mean, those were special moments. Mm -hmm. We've had interviews with with respiratory therapists and ICU doctors and nurses through the course of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. joining us with tears in their eye, but resolve on their face, right? We've had teachers. I mean, I remember a teacher, I think his name is Steven Anderson, joining us on this show, Mm -hmm. just defiant, staring down those that would challenge the bedrocks or the strong foundation of education, looking into that camera and calling out the decision makers. Amazing. I mean, what about our first episode ever? Iveson. When then Edmonton's Mayor Don Iveson announced exclusively Mm -hmm. on Real Talk that he would not seek re-election. One of my favorites was Bob Ray, too. I thought there was going to be a Bob Ray clip. I love Bob Ray. Bob Ray shot straight. He told us what he really thought. Mm -hmm. Even used a little salty language. He did. Yeah, which kind of caught our attention. But unfortunately, it didn't secure him top spot on our most memorable Real Talk moment through 500 episodes. That belongs to Canada's Prime Minister, who sat down with us on April 20th of 2021. Yeah, that's right, 420. I said I'd be remiss if I didn't ask the PM who legalized cannabis what he thought about how it had gone so far what he thought about the work still to be done 
It turned out nobody else that day had asked Justin Trudeau about pot. Well, I don't know what it says, Ryan, about you, but I've had a day full of briefings and press conferences and a question period, and nobody has brought that up before you did. So I, I wasn't even aware. Well, I'm happy to help, today. Prime Minister. Uh, I, I swear to God, what does that say? Um, listen, I, I think uh, it was a decision based on evidence. Uh, it was uh, recognizing that our current approach uh, didn't work uh, in past years and being willing to, to make changes, even though we knew that would open ourselves up to uh, to vicious political attacks. Uh, it turned out that uh, the sky didn't fall, uh, that it was a, a reasonable path forward. There's lots more to do uh, about, particularly on the opioids epidemic in terms of keeping people safe and uh, we're looking for intelligent uh, uh, drug policy as we move forward that was a big one for us uh an exclusive with the right honorable justin trudeau prime minister of canada on april 20th of 2021 you may remember if you were watching that live the jury had just ruled on the fate of Derek chauvin uh the former police officer in minneapolis that murdered George Floyd. I'm talking that verdict came down moments before we talked to the prime minister. Mm -hmm. And so we were the first news outlet. We were the first media entity to get the prime minister on record with a reaction to that verdict. And that was big for for the small fish in the big pond. That's real talk. The Washington Post quoted us. The Globe and Mail quoted us. The Boston Globe quoted us. The National Post I mean, this was big. CBC, the national credited us with video that day Mm -hmm. for us. This show early in its uh, I mean, we were five, six months old at that time. That was a big one. We were in our infancy. (laughs) And so we'll always appreciate the prime minister's availability. And, And of course, we'll continue to endeavor to bring you interviews, candid interviews, interviews that are a little bit different than the other ones with the people that are calling the shots, making the decisions, and and deserve to be held to account. Mm -hmm. Uh, We appreciate that feedback from you, your support. Today, we want to recognize in particular our Patreon supporters who have been incredible, our our, uh, subscribers and the people that join us every single day. Those of you that tell your friends about Real Talk, that ensure that people know what's happening here, uh, and that's something that we're forever grateful for. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for uh, Trudeau's beard in that clip. Yeah, he's clean shaven now, a little bit different. Lance says on the chat, talk about a highlight. That was a highlight, <laughs> buddy. Jillian's quite right. She says, you remember before that pond hockey classic, before the Real Talk pond hockey classic? This is a true story. This this put me in a wind wobble for like six months. Uh, maybe I'm still in it. But we were talking about CPR on the show. Do you know the background before? to this? Before. And I was referencing a conversation I had had with a firefighter who basically said you'd be surprised at how little CPR works. Like, it's really not that effective. They said, like, we've practiced CPR many, many times on people. Even when done properly? Yeah, even when done properly. Most times it's just, well, well, so, so we have that conversation. And immediately I hear from some people in healthcare in particular that were like, Hey, whether or not that's true, that's not the right message to send. No CPR is always worth doing always 
Like as I'm looking into the camera right now, it's always <laughs> worth doing CPR and it's worth knowing how to do CPR. It's worth brushing up on your St. John's ambulance certification or whatever first aid course, right? It's always worth doing. Give it a go. And so we were getting these emails and I'm going, yeah, this probably is something we should, t- I, sh- I should probably circle back on this. Mm-hmm. There's certain responsibilities that this show has. When you have a platform like this, you got to treat it responsibly. So we should probably circle back on this. And then the next day, a guy goes into cardiac arrest at our pond hockey classic, like a literally a matter of life and death and CPR saves him. (laughs) So that's one of the moments that I will never forget on this show. Maybe not in our top five, most memorable this morning, but, Mm -hmm. but one nonetheless end of discussion right there. (laughs) End of discussion in just a second. We want to get to comments made by Alberta's premier yesterday at uh, the chamber of commerce, the annual premier's address that was hosted here in Edmonton by the Chamber of Commerce. That's coming up in a quick second. Before we get there, I want to remind you that you're probably, unless you're partnered with Park Power right now, you're probably paying too much for your natural gas, your electricity, and your internet. I mean, that's just a fact. How do I know that? Because we keep hearing it from real talkers that once they've switched over, they've taken the five minutes to switch over to Park Power, they go, why didn't I do this sooner? And you're going to save even more if you bundle all three services together. You'll save even more if you use the promo code 2022-REALTALK when you take your business over there at parkpower.ca. Compare rates today. Get all your questions answered through a convenient link to their blog. And of course, let us know how it changes your outcomes when it comes to what you're paying for your utilities through what's probably going to be a pretty cold and expensive winter. Hey, speaking of cold... But not expensive, John. How about the fall (laughs) blizzard lineup at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? I've been telling you all week, I've been raving about this pumpkin pie blizzard because it was just so spectacular. Had that just this last weekend with the little fella. The whipped cream on top was a really nice uh, pairing with the real chunks of pumpkin pie crust. I mean, that's just one of the highlights of the fall blizzard menu. Don't forget the signature stack burgers, including my personal uh, recommendation, the loaded steakhouse stacker at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount and Baseline Road. And before we get to the premier's comments yesterday, I want to remind you about probably the top order of business for you today, and that's to get your Covenant Foundation lottery tickets. I mean, how else are you going to get the keys to a $2.2 million dream home? You got to be in there. You got to be holding a ticket to win this beauty. But it's not just the dream home that you qualify for with your ticket purchase through covenantfoundationlottery.ca. You also have a chance to win a new Lexus, an Alfa Romeo, a BMW, a trip to London or Portugal or Scotland or New York. What about a guided fly fishing trip or a heli-hiking high country escape plus a 50-50 that's going to see some lucky winner take more than a half million dollars? You can call one 944 2774 today or again, visit covenantfoundationlottery.ca. It was a big one yesterday for Alberta's premier, Danielle Smith, uh, appearing at her first premier's address. Now, of course, she's early to it, in a sense. She swore in about a week and a half ago, but it's already been an eventful experience, to say the very least. Danielle Smith appearing in front of urban business leaders yesterday at the chamber luncheon, and and here's a portion of, of what she put in front of them. The change to the Human Rights Code 
to make it in, um, illegal to discriminate against anyone on the basis of their COVID vaccination status. Now, I recognize that there are still some organizations and some businesses in Alberta that is doing that. And I just want to sort of give you fair warning that we are going to be making a, a serious pivot in that regard. And I would just ask if you would work with us to align your policies with the direction that we want to go in Alberta, because we want to send the message to the community and to the world community and to the investment markets that this is a place that is open for business, that this is a place that believes in freedom, this is a place that believes in free enterprise, and this is a place where we're not going to be making arbitrary decisions that are going to disproportionately impact the small and medium businesses in this province. Now, there's a difference between open for business and being all about freedom. I've seen a lot of people making pretty salient points about these comments in the hours since that luncheon. You know, people that are saying international investors want to know that public health policies in place to protect their investments. You know, oil and gas companies, some of the biggest employers in the province, are going to stick to safety plans and procedures that probably would include taking some form of health measure during a pandemic. We've got a bunch of business owners as well who are suggesting that that maybe it's not the premier's role to go on the record in front of business leaders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and other influencers and suggest that they better get in line with her plan when it comes to medical policy. You know, I quoted Chris Labossier yesterday. He's been on fire this week. He's the CEO of Local Environmental Services, Altitude Investment, and a lot of other interests as well. He's a partner and a sponsor with this show. Uh, Labossier yesterday tweeting, vaccination status is not a protected right unless it compromises existing medical or religious rights, which are already defended. Otherwise, Premier Smith needs to get her nose out of my business. This is a free market capitalist to a libertarian. Not from Chris Labossier. You can let us know what you think about this. It's a curious move uh, to put this in front of business leaders. But maybe you've got a different take on it. Real Talk welcomes those as we endeavor to host conversations that are reputable but perpetually curious. And of course, talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can find us. We're going to be talking about Alberta's premier. She's a big part of this roundtable that's coming up. And uh, we're going to be featuring the talented team at Navigator. Now, you know, every single Friday, our Real Talk roundtable is presented by our friends at urban timber and it's an exciting time at urban timber right now i mean we're loving the table they put together for us here i mean this is stunning if you're listening on the podcast it's a it's a white oak masterpiece highlighted with this beautiful epoxy fill the base of the table is actually hand crankable gears that can raise or lower this piece of art that is certainly the highlight of our studio. But at Urban Timber, you know, they always secure space available for your custom table delivery before Christmas. This is already on their radar. Their showroom is loaded. A brand new showroom, by the way, with great tables that you can view for inspiration. 
this Saturday would be a perfect time tomorrow to come on in and see their tables. I encourage you to do so. They're open from 10 to 4, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. A beautiful new location at 156th Street and 112th Avenue. You can browse their selection online. Check out the different innovative design mechanisms they're using. I mean, they will knock your socks off at urbantimber.ca. Now, the Real Talk Roundtable today is going to focus on work that's been put together by the team at Navigator. Navigator is a lobby group. It's a, it's a, it's a strategy group. I mean, these are professionals from across the country that have worked in politics. They've worked for politicians, and they've worked for groups or individuals looking to reach politicians. It is their job to understand the political landscape, where it is, why it's there, and where it's going. Jason Hatcher manages Navigator's Western Canadian operations, where he's spent more than 20 years advising industry and executives across the country at the intersection of public policy affairs, crisis comms, stakeholder relations, and brand management. Rosa Ellithorpe is a senior consultant out of Navigator's Edmonton office, leading their GR practice, government relations. She brings more than 10 years of experience in provincial politics in B.C. and Alberta. She's actively participated in campaigns at all levels of government. She gets how they work. She's managed mayoral campaigns, served in two provincial election war rooms, and a transition team as well. Now, that's an interesting point that we'll recognize moving forward. And Graham Fox is kind enough to join us out of Ottawa this morning, managing principal and chair of the panel of experts of the Canadian Centre for the Purpose of the Corporation. He brings the firm two decades of executive level experience in politics, public policy, public affairs and government relations, formerly the president and CEO of the Institute for Research on Public Policy. My thanks to the three of you for joining us this morning on this roundtable. I want to encourage you to, to, to jump in on the conversation. Don't wait for me to tap you on the shoulder. Let's keep this as candid as possible. Uh, Rosa, I want to lead with you out of the Edmonton office. Edmonton is where Danielle Smith spoke to the chamber members yesterday. Uh, I played one quick clip about health policy, but of course there's a whole lot more to her message. How would you assess her first 10 days or so in office? What message is she sending to business owners and to the general electorate? Well, I see her trying to um, change the narrative or continue her narrative from her leadership into now the general population. She said that. She said that yesterday. She said, you know, in a leadership, we speak to 100,000 people. Now I'm speaking to you as a general public. And she really set her, her initiatives forward, changing the healthcare policy and trying freedoms in the healthcare, in the Human Rights Act and uh, addressing pockets unity. So those are the top three things in her leadership. And she's trying to say that to the public right now as well. Okay. Now the, the, the challenge of course, through all of this is, is going to be maintaining the support that she saw through the leadership race and turning that into support through a general election, probably easier said than done. Right. I mean, like Graham, is this, is this, is this is not something that, that every winner of a leadership is able to pull off. I mean, Everybody, and perhaps there's holes we can poke in the comparison, but everybody right now seems to be talking about Danielle Smith and Liz Truss. Do they belong potentially in the same sentence? I think the premier has yet to demonstrate that. And I think, uh, you know, to your, to your earlier point, um, the party's base, the party's membership and the general public are two fundamentally different audiences. And I think what we're seeing and what we have seen uh, in the last week is the premier pivoting uh, from speaking to the converted within the party who are prepared to uh, buy a membership and vote 
uh, and the general public who may be busy, not paying attention to politics. Um, and so the speeches this week and what we'll see leading into the weekend will be fundamentally interesting. Yeah, and today is going to be a big one as as well, to, to say the least, Jason, with the, the first peek at this new cabinet. Uh, and everybody's going to be curious to yeah. see because cabinet appointments say a lot about a premier's uh, alliances, about perhaps a premier's beefs and about a premier's priorities. Right. Yeah, no, I think, Ryan, today is a really, really critical day. It's the, it, And it's really a time where all Albertans will pay attention. You know, to Graham's point, it kind of crosses over from that party, sort of speaking to the party, speaking to partisans through that leadership, through the hustings this summer, and now really putting putting her own stamp on government, making it her own, and, and really t- get, sending that message to uh, to Albertans. I think, you know, a couple of things we'll be looking for is to see if there's some stability within the cabinet, to see some carryover from, and we think there will be, uh, from the the previous cabinet to have that continuity going out there um and and some of that sort of corporate memory if you will on key files around energy and the environment so i think those are the things we'll be looking for but also where the representation i mean this is someone who uh, this premier has been very clear that she is going to govern for rural alberta um she made that clear yesterday here in edmonton i i was with that with rosa to see that speech and that, and that was quite clear um but we're looking to see you know, what kind of representation are we going to see from Edmonton and that surrounding Edmonton area, the, the donut around Edmonton, but also around Calgary? You know, the research that we've done over the last week or so, or the last two weeks, I should say, has really shown that uh, because the NDP are so entrenched here in Edmonton and because the UCP has such a strong base in rural, that the battleground are really going to be, you know, is going to be Calgary and some of those small and mid-sized sort of cities around the province and the donut around Edmonton. So I'm looking for the representation that you might see from those areas down in Lathbridge, out of Calgary and across the province. I, uh, I I let the audience know that I that I'm uh, I participate in in a political group chat. This is like you know uh, it's comprised of of you know some campaign managers, former chiefs of staff, some elected officials, some industry leaders, uh, and it's all off the record, so I don't betray them and what I bring to the table here. But I can tell you that this week in that group chat, everybody was talking about Navigator's numbers. Everybody was talking about Navigator's uh, report, Alberta's mindset, the race to 2023 and we want to get into this because it indicates where many albertans are at uh it indicates where people uh are placing their top political priorities uh it shines some light onto what daniel smith's support and the ucp support looks like right now and we'll also talk about rachel notley i want to throw in some conversation around the alberta party as well today because barry morishita their leader is running against daniel smith in that by-election that's a story we shouldn't ignore uh daniel's probably gonna win but i don't think it's a guarantee and I wouldn't put that in front of the three of you. But but Rosa, can, can you tee this up for us? This Alberta's mindset race to 2023. How did it go down? Who did you talk to and, uh, and and prepare us this audience for the numbers they're about to hear? For sure. So we did uh, a sample size of 1,002 people to be exact across the province. So it's very balanced across rural and the urban areas. And we've broken that down in some spaces. And it was in field from the 7th to the 13th, 11th. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jason. It's um, we did it captured uh, Danielle's swearing in speech. So we did get a little bit of that feedback on um, her initial comments that she had to walk back in her in her swearing in speech. Um, so it really reflected that. And that's where we addressed the point. OK, yeah, we went right through the field, Ryan, uh, just to build on what Rosa said, right up until uh, the day of her first press conference. So whatever happened since then, and we know there's been stuff in the news that would not have been a part of this research. So we've kind of got that first seven days, if you will. OK, so th- so does this is, is was this polling? concluded before 
some of the information and the comments surfaced around, for example, Ukraine's independence. Yeah. And okay, so so we can assume that there has potentially and probably been some damage done to the brand after these numbers. Well, we'd have to see, right? I mean, that's fairly speculative, but uh, I, I know, will I think, speculate. I think- all right, there you go. You guys keep it uh, reputable, and I will handle the speculation. How's that? All right, let's get to the numbers. These, these are what people are going to care about. So this is polling by Navigator. We've got their panel here. I'm grateful to have the trio with us here on the Real Talk Roundtable. 2019 election results versus current vote intention. For people watching this on YouTube, they can see it on the screen. Uh, back in 2019, voter intention, or rather, pardon me, election results, 55% uh, the UCP saw, 55% support through that election. Uh, current vote intention right now uh, down about 17 points to 38 percent. In 2019, the NDP official opposition, of course, took a third of the vote, took 33 percent. They're up 20 points. The current vote intention at 53 percent. Jason, you want to tee this up for us? Yeah, I mean, look, the first thing I would caution is, is voter intention doesn't necessarily equate to uh, seat distribution. And look, at a lot of jurisdictions in Canada, first past the post, you'd see these numbers and you go, wow, that's it. It's over slam dunk. But the one thing that we've concluded from this research is there's a strong path to victory, frankly, for both parties. And when you really look at that seat distribution, because of the Edmonton uh, sort of fortress Edmonton, if, it, if you will, for the NDP, and the same thing rural, uh, you still are in a situation with those safe Tory seats where they're actually, in terms of seat projection, likely in the lead, probably we sort of say, think 29 to 20 with the rest up to grabs, the race to 45. Um, but there's definitely some, you know, even in the research, we saw some concerns out of, out of rural Alberta, even some of that cracks perhaps in, in some, uh, in some of that, that support. But I think it's really that, that she's unknown in some ways. While she's well known on some of her policies, I think people are waiting to see how she's going to address some of these and how she transfers from, as Rose has suggested, that sort of going after the leadership, that partisan piece to now speaking to the general electorate. And that's going to be really key in the next coming weeks and months. Okay. Well, I'd be curious for all three of your take on this, Graham. Maybe we go to you uh, first. If you're trying to get the electorate, if you're trying to get people in certain ridings or pockets of the province, if you've got a target demographic you're trying to reach to get to know the premier how do you do it is is this the visits to the like the world's largest pisanka is this the kissing babies is this funding announcements how do you do it i think it's a little bit of all of the above and i think it's definitely putting some meat around the bones of some of the policy uh, that she's put forward as a leadership candidate uh, and the first one that comes to my mind is the alberta sovereignty act Uh, where the manner in which she's been talking about that since becoming premier has been markedly different, at least from my vantage point uh, in Ottawa, in Upper Canada, if you will, uh, than uh, than was the case when she was a candidate. Uh, In her interview with you last week, um, I was really interested, uh, when you asked her about her approach to her relationship with the Prime Minister, uh, I was really interested that she led first with areas she thought there might be common ground, Mm. whether that's CCUS and technology and other things, did not lead with the points of division. And for me as a voter, if I were a a member of her constituency or a member of the Alberta electorate, I'm taking a lot of cues from those sorts of things. I wanna see a premier engage with the rest of Confederation. Um, I will leave other issues to my colleagues, Rosa and Jason, but I thought, you know, those those are the kinds of things voters will be looking for, for clues on how she will govern, how she will use the advantage of incumbency between now and the next election. Uh, and I thought, you know, the her conversation with you last week, I think, was very telling from a kind of confederation, how will Alberta behave uh, point of view. 
Rosa, were you when you were working in BC politics? Were you there uh, working under Christy Clark? I was. Yeah. So, so you saw you had a front row seat to at that time what was a pretty is it fair to call it a contentious relationship between BC and Alberta at the time? Uh, yes. was, I was actually with Redford. Um, oh, when that was going down with her and, and and Premier Clark, so I got to see that, and then I went over there, and Christy maybe gave me a few jabs about. Uh, being okay, interesting. <laughs> interesting. So, so they came it in, was, and they came in, and they poached some of Alberta's top talents and brought it out to yeah. BC. There, there you go. Do you have? Do you have any? I mean, is it too early to say? We haven't really seen any sparring, and, and BC's political landscape is is a little bit in flux in so many ways as Alberta's is right now. But, but what do you make of the dynamic? I mean, obviously, there's there's almost like an implied alliance between. Alberta and Saskatchewan and uh, it's interesting to see Nova Scotia kind of chiming in on some some so-called sovereignty stuff though I recognize that's a really big and loaded word uh, what do you make of, of the state of Alberta's relationship with BC right now and how that might change or not I think it, it's a good question because we haven't actually been thinking about it we we talked yesterday about the polling showing how people coming out of COVID are in a very selfish um, state of mind where you're thinking about affordability you're thinking about your health care, you're thinking about your parents, those kind of things. So the conversation between BC and Alberta right now hasn't been on a, a hot topic on any of the tables that I've been chatting for politics. But David Eby coming in as the, the new premier, he's got a longstanding history of being um, a strong NDP, like shining star. Uh, well, I don't think he has a relationship with Rachel Notley that uh, uh, John Horgan did going out quite popular. So they have to find some allegiances. Um, I know John Horgan pushed back federally on some of the mandates when they were coming down. So there's some some things there, not as strong as, as Alberta did, but um, they'll have to find some allegiances, especially on the environmental and the pipeline side. So it'll be left to be seen what um, David Eby's top priorities are and how... Um, how Premier Smith aligns with him. Okay, we're, we're going to get into the new Premier, uh, just if I could jump in, Ryan, the yeah. new Premier in BC is facing a lot of pressure from, mm -hmm. from the environmental side, right? I mean, there was a lot, we saw the disqualification of the candidate that he was up against, you know, alleging that there was a lot of Greens backing backing her. Um, so he's going to have a lot of pressure from that, that sort of environmental left flank of his, and that's going to set up for an interesting dynamic. His choice in environment minister and how he proceeds now and how that will play into exactly what you just asked about the, the, the interplay between our two provinces is going to be fascinating. Okay, and and also, can I say one of the best parts about the Real Talk Roundtable is we can veer and swerve and get way off track, and then I promise I'll bring it back because I want to ask the three of you right now. I mean, uh, you're going to go. Wait a second, we're not we're not briefed and prepped to talk BC politics for half an hour. Don't worry, we won't. But Vancouver, I mean, Vancouver's municipal election, they just went right wing in a way, right? Vancouver just swung conservative at a municipal election. What are you reading into that, if anything? I think you have Vancouver who has just been frustrated in the housing markets and, and you've had a lot of the, I'm sorry, I forget the party that was just in, that they have party politics in Vancouver, which is also a whole different level of yeah. uh, confusion and a new party with Ken Sims who ran and lost the last time. I think you're just seeing a lot of frustration out of Vancouver where they haven't had movement in some major issues and that we saw at Surrey switched over. There's actually a huge referendum on municipal leaders across BC lots of big change so vancouver led the way but um we saw a lot of that over there I, I would tend to agree with that in the sense that you know it seemed to me to be more perceptions of competence than ideological choices it was a little bit of the throwing up of hands these guys aren't actually doing it for us we're going to need a new group 
Okay. Uh, let, let me bring this back to, and, and we're going to spend a lot of time. I mean, to, to be quite honest, I think that the, the conversations and, and quite frankly, the public focus leading up to, to May of 2023, Alberta's next provincial election, I think is going to be Danielle V. Rachel. I think it is. But uh, it would be a disservice to the Alberta Party to ignore 170,000 votes in the last provincial election. I know uh, Barry Morshita, per, uh, you know, personally, he's the former mayor of Brooks, former president of the AUMA, now known as Alberta Municipalities, and he's busting his ass to try to, ha- to find some traction for this party. Your polling suggests that it's not working. Nine percent of voter support in 2019 current vote intention right now is four percent. Why don't I talk to the two Alberta based commentators uh, right now? Jason, what are you reading into this? Are you surprised at all? Do you think that voters right now are seeing this as a two horse race as well? I, I do. And, and and I'm not surprised, even though and I know Barry as well, you know, great guy works really hard and he's been working his butt off. You're 100 percent right, Ryan. But but at the end of the day, it, this is going to be a clash of, of two personalities. I think Albertans are actually really interested in the policies, but it, it really feels like we're going to go down the road to a, to a clash of personalities. And for a lot of Albertans, it's going to be sort of determining, you know, how they feel about the NDP. It's been been a little while now since they've been in government, and and our numbers are showing that uh, their numbers have have actually raised when it comes to econ- confidence in their economic platform. It's going to be interesting to see how uh, Premier Smith tries to sort of flush that out with the NDP and and try to get them to to say exactly where they're going to go on taxation and other economic issues. Likewise, you're going to see the same thing, uh, I think, around Danielle Smith and, and the Sovereignty Act and other issues as, as Rachel Notley tries to to really try to define her. So we're going to see these big personalities out there clashing. The NDP have already been out advertising very aggressively. They're well-funded. They've got good ads. I expect we'll see similar uh, similar approach from the UCP coming up. Um, but for the Alberta party, they do run the risk now really being squeezed. You know, at first blush, looking at Barry running against her uh, down south there, I thought, oh, that's, that's a bit of a, a strange move. It's going to be hard for him. But on the other hand, it's a way for him to get some attention. It's yeah. a way for him to pit himself against the premier as a leader. And I think for that, it's going to be interesting to watch. And, you know, he knows that area down there and uh, it's going to make it interesting, at least. Yeah, I was going to say, if he's going to win anywhere and that's not a slight, like I'm just saying, if you're going to win anywhere, why not run where you were the mayor? Like, you you, you know, you, yeah. you've probably got, I don't know, 1,500, 1,500 people ready to go right away. You'd hope. You never know, though. And Rosa, sometimes I wonder if I... Uh, well, I think I already know the answer to this, but I think I over, I, I think I can oversimplify political strategy. I'm sometimes like, why don't you just do this, this, and this, and then you'd be the premier, you know, but, but, but couldn't the Alberta party with some compelling candidates, uh, say, Hey, listen, the NDP's way too far left. And clearly the UCP is way too far right for, for, you know, for, for like the average Albertan, this is what everybody likes to talk about. Who is the average Albertan, but, but like, we're the pragmatic, reasonable, middle of the road people, business friendly, socially, you know, convicted. Isn't that a place where the the Alberta party could find a sweet spot? Does that even exist anymore? Well, I've been running and losing campaigns on that uh, exact ideology for a while now. So um, (laughs) I would say that's uh, exactly what I would like to see in a lot of things. But um, there's a bigger strategy there. And we've seen it across the board. We saw it in municipal elections the last two years in both Edmonton and Calgary. You had two choices. It split out. You didn't have that middle ground. We had... Um, same with just the leadership. You had two choices it came down to on the UCP, like lots of that good policy from a lot of the, I don't want to call them moderate because there was a, across the board a conservative uh, selection in the leadership, but yeah. um, it rose up to those two and we're seeing it more and more. And like Jason said, we're going to squeeze it out. I found it very interesting that the rural riding that um, Premier Smith is choosing to run in is they knew that Barry was running there. Um, and there's a bit of a strategy behind that is, 
on the positive, are you just taking out the rural vote? Because if Barry can't get the traction, then, or the Alberta party vote, if Barry can't get traction, do they kind of disappear? But the other risk is, we saw with the numbers, it's very close. The Alberta party goes, it doesn't necessarily go to the UCP. It might go to the NDP, and that's more and more likely of what we're seeing. And we forget about, and our, our colleague reminded us, there is a percentage of liberal voters in Alberta. They still exist, and there's still a federal liberal people. And those really close seats in Calgary where that those four or five percent vote is going to matter and they're going to go somewhere. So they've played a interesting game. I thought at first, like brilliant, take out the, the head of the party, then you don't have to worry about this vote and you can go head to head. But it might play differently in other areas when 2023 rolls around. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what the NDP do in that writing. Right. Are uh, they going to go full bore or are they going to try to sit back and let let Barry ha have a go at this. But look, these smaller, mid-sized urban, urban regions of, of Alberta are critical in the next election. You know, for the UCP, if they can take one of those seats, that's one more seat that the NDP can't get there. And it forces them to really almost have to run the table in Calgary. But Jason, you that, know, the that's a real challenge. The NDP is not going to play nice with the Alberta party. The, the NDP is as cutthroat as the conservatives. I mean, any political party that wants to form government's got to be cutthroat. Come on, right? Well, look, I'll, I'll tell you, those urban seats are those uh, small, mid-sized uh, urban seats are important. And yeah. I think you're right. I think it's going to be hard for the NDP to walk away from that one, even though if they really wanted to have some fun, maybe that would be the play. But I think they want that seat just as bad as everybody else. We have so much to get into. So I'm going to move this conversation forward. Uh, we're talking to, to three voices. They know what they're getting into. Graham Fox joining us out of Ottawa. Uh, Rosa Ellithorpe, Jason Hatcher, uh, Jason Hatcher, Rosa Ellithorpe, both joining us uh, out of Alberta, all, all three of them uh, with Navigator. They've just released these numbers this week. Interesting stuff. Let's get to overall impression. This is what more than a thousand Albertans, just over a thousand Albertans told you their overall impression of Rachel Notley, 47% positive, 36% negative. Danielle Smith, 22% positive, 51% negative. Here's where it gets really interesting. Uh, Rachel Notley, with regards to economic leadership ability, 41% perceive her to be strong. 36% say she's weak. The conservative premier, 19% perceive her to be strong, 40% perceive her to be weak. Rosa, were you surprised by the numbers when you saw them? Yes. And it, because it's not traditional, right? You were used to seeing NDP leaders fall behind on those kind of numbers. Um, and I think Premier Smith knew that. That's why she was talking about her business creds yesterday. They're starting to set that up. She was talking about her role as an entrepreneur, her role at Albert um, Enterprise Group, um, speaking with business leaders. She's showing she's flexing that um, knowledge. And like we had referred to earlier, Jason, I believe that what you said is that they don't really know her. They know her, but they don't know her. So she actually doesn't have a proven track record on economic leadership. Um, lots of those. Um, and then Rachel Notley, trust. We saw we did May polling as well. And there was, an un, there was a really, really low level of trust of amongst leaders. And then we've seen Rachel's trust go way up in the last few months and leadership. And we believe it's because um, Danielle is wearing a little bit of that lack of trust from the former administration, the caucus unrest. People are just really hesitant right now of seeing the last few years in the UCP and she's wearing some of that. Jason, yeah, I, I think there's two things driving this, and they, these numbers were pretty surprising. Right, Whitey Ryan, and they kind of really jumped off the page. Yeah. But I think you know the look. We all know markets, capital markets require certainty, and this province is blessed with a lot of resources, right? But whether it's our oil and gas, whether it's our renewables, whether it's tech, whether it's ag, we need outside investment, and that sovereignty act. And we look, we saw this. You know, 40, 50 years ago in Quebec as well, when Montreal was the biggest city in in uh, in this country, and that uncertainty creates 
well, it creates challenges for markets. Likewise, the other choice around the NDP now, they're going to have to reveal their economic uh, sort of agenda, if you will, because that creates uncertainty as well. And I think that's what you're sort of seeing. Those numbers came up quite a bit for for Miss Notley during the UCP race. I would argue in some ways she won the UCP race in that mm. sense. Um, but what Rosa just said there a moment ago is really critical. She inherited, Premier Smith inherited a lot of baggage from, from Premier Kenny on, and from the caucus on that that caucus, that lack of unity, people did not like the infighting. It really turned Albertans off outside the party. And to the extent that she can fix that piece, and already we've seen this week a lot of a lot of caucus singing from the same songbook, a real different dynamic. It's more inclusive. Uh, caucus members have really been told that they can participate in policy, that they're going to be a part of the a part of the the agenda going forward. That change alone, if she can maintain that, and the test is today, right? Because everybody's in cabinet until they're not in cabinet, and that's announced. So once we get past that. If that unity maintains, I think there's there's really an opportunity for her to increase her numbers quite quickly. And this this might tighten up. Graham, what's the what's the scuttlebutt in, in Ottawa? I, I think Albertans and I say this, including myself, um, we all want to believe that Alberta is all Torontonians talk about. It's all they're talking about on Parliament Hill. Uh, everybody in Montreal and Quebec City cannot stop fixating on Alberta driven stories. But I think the truth is, is maybe a little dialed back from there. Sure, except that I would say that this is a race that uh, people that political observers, particularly uh, in other parts of the country, have really been following. Uh, and I think the moves in the in the immediacy of the next couple of days will be uh, really important. Do cabinet choices around finance, around energy, around environment reassure people and bring the temperature down, or does it reinforce the uncertainty that we've seen? Uh, so that's number one. Number two. Um, in the Premier's approach to building coalitions to get Ottawa to take more seriously the Premier's demands for more money for long-term care and other things, do utterances around Ukraine and Russia and utterances around the unvaccinated, does that get in the way of other Premiers standing with her and building that common ground vis-a-vis uh, -vis Ottawa? I think those are things that everybody's actually watching, uh, not to, and, and not just for the impact it may have on the prime minister's strategy, but the impact it may have on the leader of his majesty's loyal opposition, Mr. Polyev. Hey, Rosa, let me ask you a question. If you were working in the premier's office right now, she's, she's issued two or three clarification, whatever you want to call them, clarifications, apologies, walkbacks. She's issued two or three statements in her first week uh, relating to a couple of different things. And I've heard different opinions from people. Some have said that it was it was astute of her to apologize. She had to apologize in particular about the Ukraine stuff, considering Alberta's Ukrainian population. And others, including some friends of mine that support Danielle Smith, have said that they were disappointed she apologized and they didn't believe that she needed to apologize because her supporters and her base don't want her to apologize. Uh, how would you have managed that over the past week or so? I think I would have gone for the apology. It's great. Her supporters and base don't want her to apologize, but they're not going anywhere. <laughs> We're going, it is, the election is on. That's what our numbers have shown. It's seven months. She has to start saying her message to the general population. She has 100,000, 123,000 UCP members that showed up. Um, that doesn't win a general election. So those are the kind of, we're switching from leadership and opposition to governance. And governance is hard, and sometimes those those apologies have to happen. Okay, let's get into some of these numbers around support for the Alberta Sovereignty Act. This is also particularly interesting. These uh, numbers per Navigator. Uh, their team members forming our Real Talk Roundtable today. Uh, of those polled by Navigator, support for the Alberta Sovereignty Act, 32% of those polled support it, 50%, nearly half, oppose it. 
and then some somewhat support or somewhat opposed. And then there's some that feel that, you know, they don't have a take on it. That's about one in five people polled, by the way. But here's what's really interesting. Support for the Alberta Sovereignty Act does not see a majority in the rural areas, which one might have assumed 40 percent support in rural areas, 32 percent in Calgary and 25 percent in Edmonton. Throw this into the mix. Just one in four people polled believe that Alberta needs to, quote, stand up to the Trudeau government and the Alberta Sovereignty Act is an effective way to do it. That's just 26 <laughs> percent. But Jason, you're probably going to say, yeah, but if you can get all of those 40 percent in the rural or if you can get every one of those 26 percent to show up to the polls, that could be a winning formula, couldn't it? Well, you know, look, I think there's a couple of things you've identified here. First of all, wow, there's been a ton of churn on something we haven't seen yet. Right. And I think we really have to see what's in it. But it was an effective tool for her. And I think what we're also seeing is Rose has already described, right, that shift from speaking to the partisanship, speaking to the party and now speaking to the public. And that 40 percent was really striking coming out of rural. It says that that really has to be defined with rural Alberta, because, look, we still show that nearly 75 percent of Albertans want a premier to stand up to Ottawa. So it's table stakes, right? It's kind of a point of entry in our province. You've got to stand up and look, hey, the best uh, the best friend of any incumbent premier across the country is, is an enemy in Ottawa. But, you know, how she defines this, particularly, as I've said again, right, those smaller urban and mid-sized cities, I think that's where you're seeing a little drag on that those, those sovereignty numbers. And I think how she defines this going forward, how she says she's going to use it is going to be really important. People are watching. It's that uncertainty piece right now. Right now, Albertans have to choose between two uncertainties, right? The economic uncertainty of the NDP and, and the uncertainty of the Sovereignty Act. She has a chance to, Premier Smith has a chance to really define that in the next in the next few weeks. And it's going to be really important for, I think, her premiership. But Rosa, I mean, I remember I've told the story a million times of the cab ride uh, back to our hotel in Toronto. Me, Brad Wall, Danielle Smith and Charles Adler in a cab. And we're talking and, and Brad, you know, former Premier Wall is asking Danielle Smith, when are you going to run again? When are you going to get back into politics? And she says, I'm unelectable. She says, after everything that went down, she says, I'm unelectable. And so people want to know what's changed now she had to repair her reputation a little bit there were a lot of ardent conservatives that felt quite frankly betrayed by the floor crossing right as if i need to to provide the background on this so if she waters down or dilutes this alberta sovereignty act doesn't she risk betraying that same base again the ones that sent her to the premier's office and and there it is right how do you rule how do you rule from rural and still win in some of those urban centers that she needs to. Sorry, Reza. That's okay. And I was just going to say, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, re- I just said her base isn't going anywhere, but if she doesn't deliver on this, that's when the internal fighting will start again. Yeah. The, 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 they're going at this with grassroots. I think there's a reason they're presenting cabinet to the AGM this weekend. They're not swearing them in until Monday. They're, they're announcing it this morning in an hour and a half. And she's sending her people in. It's members first. And those members are expecting something. And she's approaching it that way. Um, the Sovereignty Act will be incredibly important to make sure she does it. But again, we haven't seen it. So we're, we're speculating. Is it of watered course. down? We don't even know what we're watering it down from because we don't know what it was. So um, that's where a lot of 
maybe should have, could have, would have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think some people, quite frankly, are expecting this to be Alberta putting Ottawa on notice that we're leaving, you know, and, and I think that those people are going to be disappointed. Uh, yeah. Before we thank you for your time, all three of you, and I'm really grateful for it, I want to ask you about this, and Graham, we'll, we'll lead with you, and, and you can take this as specifically or as generally as you like, because your polling's interesting on this. We don't have time to go through every single one of them, but you hone in on key issues management. And you ask the public, you ask the electorate uh, about health care and creating jobs and, and economic outlook. And, and of course, returning the, the province's finances to moving toward reduced debt. I mean, the latest budget was a good news one in that context. Controlling spending, reducing taxes and standing up to the federal government. It's a lot of kind of con- so-called conservative talking points here, Graham. But can you talk to us about how Ms. Notley and Premier Smith uh, might navigate those waters? Well, I think p- p- part of what was most interesting to me in the numbers is how closely Ms. Notley has moved in on traditional conservative space. And I think that really is the Premier's big basic challenge uh, coming into this. How do you regain that ground to somebody who's not supposed to be beating you on the economy and on basic governance and competence? Jason? Yeah, I think it's going to be critical how she sells her uh, vision on healthcare. Healthcare is the number one issue that we identified for Albertans uh, in our survey. And, and you know, that happens a lot. And then that doesn't necessarily play out in the election. But I think because Premier Smith has made healthcare vaccination status, et cetera, et cetera, such a critical pillar. And the fact that the, the changes she wants to make to AHS, we know that Albertans want to have more frontline workers. We know that they want to have more access. We know there's a backlog in the system and we know that the workers, the Albertans, Albertans that are working in the healthcare system are tired and they're burnt out. And I think how she sells that that vision for healthcare and how those results trickle in in, in just a short time of seven months is going to be really important on that file. Rosa? Um, I close with what she needs to do with, to, I think we called it the three-legged stool for both leaders, uh, caucus unity, which she's already been working on. They had a caucus retreat. I don't know if you saw the video of them paintballing together. That's a night and day leadership change from the last uh, premier. Uh, and we're hearing lots of positive feedback from that. Um, like Jason said, selling healthcare. And the next one is the pocketbook issues going in on, like, as we talked about earlier, people are kind of selfish coming out of COVID. So it's not the macroeconomics, it's the what is my bill being? They're going in February is going to be another good budget, but Canada is going to be facing a recession and Alberta is going to stay out of that. And inflation with recession, and they're lucky that they'll have a good budget. She needs to make sure that um, they come forward on those economic issues because they might wear the realities of the economy and not their actions. Pretty interesting stuff. We'll acknowledge that so much can and will change between now and May. And obviously, uh, it's something that we'll continue to focus on and talk about here. Jason Hatcher, Rosa Ellithorpe, and Graham Fox joining us from Team Navigator. Uh, you can find more about what they do by visiting them online at Nav Limited. That's navltd.com. Of course, this will all be in the show links as well, the description on the podcast episode and on YouTube as well. Thanks to the three of you and have a fantastic weekend. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. You bet. Real Talk is we want to know what you think about this Real Talk roundtable presented by our friends at Urban Timber. Just look at that table by Urban Timber. I look at it every day. The smell of it. The smell of the table. (laughs) There's nothing like the table by Urban Timber. Great stuff. And uh, some of those numbers are kind of surprising. I think that, you know, one of them uh, that that really jumped out at me that I wouldn't say was shocking right now because Danielle Smith knows that she's a polarizing figure. I mean, most politicians are 
polarizing figures by definition. I mean, typically in this climate anyway, it seems you either, I, I hate to use words, you know, our little guy Wyatt, he calls us on this because we say there's certain words we don't say in the house and then something <laughs> will happen. Like I'll stub my toe and I'll say, I hate when that happens. And you hear from the other room, we don't say hate. And I'm like, you're right, kiddo. You're right. You're hundred percent right. And so I don't want to say with politicians, you either love them or you hate them. Uh, but you know what I you know what I mean, right? You mm -hmm. either, you either support them or you don't. You're either for them or you're against them. It seems, and we've been talking about this a little bit, including yesterday with Dr. Jody Carrington on on, on polarized conversation, and we, we've been having these conversations. But but the polling, the overall impression. I mean, people see Rachel Notley. Forty seven percent of people polled uh, see her in a positive light. Like that's just of a thousand Albertans, rural, urban, different age demographics. Forty seven percent see her in a positive light. Almost half. 22% see Daniel Smith in a positive light. One in five, right? 36%, just over one in three, see Rachel Notley in a negative light. 51% see Daniel Smith in a negative light. So it's much more polarized, right? Quite a, quite a few uh, less people see Daniel Smith in a positive light and quite a few more see her in a negative light, whereas Rachel Notley has a little bit more sort of ground there in the middle. And then the other one, the economic leadership abilities for more people to perceive the conservative premier to be weak on economic leadership is is, is quite frankly surprising Very. based on how people perceive the brand. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you look at even some of the messaging. I'll, t I'll try to call it up here live as, as we're doing the show here. But but, you know, the premier yesterday uh, from her account, this would be a funny way to find out if. Uh, no, I'm not going to be blocked by Danielle. We've known each other for 15 years. Can you imagine <laughs> finding out live right now if I was uh, <laughs> interesting conversation yesterday about that? But I want to I want to point out something that she tweeted yesterday. And this was one of the memes uh, that they posted. But you see this, like Albertans are, are proud of our economy. She says they put in the hard work and they should continue to reap the rewards. Uh, Daniel Smith says, as your premier, I will ensure Alberta remains the most affordable and free place in Canada. And then the three talking points, they have the nice photo of, of Danielle smiling, nicely lit uh, in conservative blue. And uh, it says a strong economy with more money in your pocket and standing up for your rights. And then they have the kind of unfortunate photo of Rachel Notley. Uh, you know, she looks a little bit sort of like a, a villain in a movie. And they've got her with this sort of like reddish, like they've really torqued the NDP orange to go a little bit more liberal red. You notice that? And then mm -hmm. the, the bullet points they have, you know, triple the carbon tax, chase out investment and reckless spending. And that's typically what you'll hear from conservative politicians at municipal, provincial, and federal levels. Mm -hmm. You know, small c at the at the municipal level. But but what do they talk about? They talk about the reckless spending, the chasing out of the investment, the job killing carbon tax, all of those things. They don't understand. You know, these socialists don't understand the economy. So to see that forty percent of, of of a general audience in Alberta sees the conservative premier as weak on finances or economic leadership, while just 36% see the official opposition leader, Rachel Notley, is weak. That's pretty interesting. 41%, I know it's a lot of numbers, Real Talkers, but 41% polled say Rachel Notley is strong. That's a proactive statement. 41, she is strong on economic leadership. 19%, less than half of Notley's support. 19% see Danielle Smith with strong economic leadership. So the appointment of her finance minister is going to be a big one. It's probably going to be Travis Taves. Why would you boot him out, right? He ran a reputable leadership campaign. He's released a surplus budget. He's perceived as that kind of steady force 
by the average person, including political pundits. There's not a lot of people that are ripping Travis Taves a new one over his performance in what was otherwise a, a pretty dramatic tenure through the Kenny years. To be fair, global energy uh, prices collapse, a uh, global recession, a global pandemic. There was a lot going on, but it didn't help all the other stuff, right? The Sky Palace meeting and the, the you know yelling at doctors on the driveway and all that kind of stuff. It didn't help. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can send us your thoughts. I appreciate the email that we received yesterday from MJ. MJ was listening to the interview with Dr. Jody Carrington, which mm-hmm. I think everybody needs to hear. She, she checked in from Yellowknife Northwest Territories and talked to us about meeting in the middle. She talked about the opposite. Hey, about the opposite of addiction? What about that when she said the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection? I thought that was really powerful stuff. Yeah, I like that. We talked about trends in, in suicide. We talked about depression. It, was a, it, was a, it sounds weird to say we talked about depression. It was a wonderful conversation, but it was edifying. And we heard from a lot of you. MJ said, what a fabulous guest. You know, that message has touched my heart. We are all the walking wounded. And then MJ quotes Dr. Carrington, who said, be kind first. And second, don't tolerate bullshit, (laughs) which was great advice. MJ says, always be kind without allowing someone to extinguish your light. Everyone is carrying a heavy load. Look someone in the eye and acknowledge them. MJ says, today is a new first day of the rest of my life, and I have much work to do. MJ signs off with appreciation. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. I could have saved that for Positive Reflections coming up on Monday, presented by Kubi Energy. However, we have a very special, I haven't even told you this yet, we have a special edition of Positive Reflections. You know, this is where we celebrate things that, that fill our spirits, fill our buckets, renew our faith, or restore our faith in humanity. It's the good news stories. And we're actually going to do a live interview with a principal and a teacher that's just won a very prestigious award uh, for work that this teacher has been doing in their class over a number of years. And so a live interview for Positive Reflections, that's coming up on Monday. Of course, as mentioned, that is presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, providing solar energy solutions to power your life. Now, Kubi Energy knows that you're probably, if you're the average customer, you got a lot of questions about what a solar install could look like. What are are the economics of it? What's the bottom line? How much room do you have to clear in your basement for all those batteries? Guess what? You don't even need batteries anymore. So much has changed with solar and Kubi is leading the charge. You see what I did there, John? You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Don't forget, they're the experts as well on tapping into all the grants and incentives out there, including that Canada Greener Homes Grant, $40,000 interest-free, 10 years to pay it back. Kubi can get your application started today. Find them online at kubienergy.ca. At Apex Automation, they are growing their team every single year for the past three. They've been adding not just team members, but locations as well. They're opening new options offices across Western Canada and beyond. Why? I mean, why are they opening in Vancouver? Why did they open in Saskatoon? Why are they in Edmonton and Calgary and Lloydminster? Well, they're expanding as well into Tampa and Houston and other American markets because they want to be close to their clients' sites. They want to support their clients with quick turnaround service and fewer travel costs. 
Kubi's all about giving people back their time. Apex Automation, that is. Well, Kubi is too. But Apex Automation, giving people back their time through automated systems, industrial control systems engineering, and software development solutions. They're hiring the most talented engineers in the country. If that sounds like you and you're ready to make a move, check out apexautomation.ca today. And of course, there's Eden Landscaping, our friends from the outset of this show, a family-owned business, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. You're going, yeah, man, we're not going to start a landscaping project right now at the end of October, man. The ground's going to be frozen, guy. Well, here's the deal. Work with us on this, all right? The philosophy of Eden Landscaping is that an exceptional landscape's got to be a thoughtful, flowing vision, and that takes time. It takes planning, let alone the permitting process and ordering all the construction materials. Today's a great day to check out landscapeedmonton.ca. Make contact with Mike and his team so that they can hit the ground as soon as it thaws, bringing your outdoor space to life this spring. Well, every Friday, we provide an opportunity for real talkers to to get a few things off their chest, right? To say what they really mean using this megaphone. It's presented by our great friends at Local Environmental Services. It's a weekly tradition we call the Trash Talk! All right, with this one from Ron, I love this, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Ron says, uh, I think I'd like to stir the pot here. Uh, He says, in my personal opinion, I think that Rush is the most overrated band in Canadian rock history. The most overrated in history. Ron says they forgot where they came from, and they don't have many songs. I know we're going to get 100 emails. Ron says they don't have any songs that speak to the Canadian experience. I don't get Rush. Rush. I'll never get Rush. I tried listening to their music, but I just can't get into it no matter how hard I try. There are other bands and artists from that era that are better and way more worthy of your love. Rush will always mean a lot to other people, but do not count me as one of them. In my humble opinion, Tragically Hip is better than Rush. That from Ron. All right, how about this one from Kyle, who says, Hey, Real Talk team, I was leaving Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton after a morning workout, and I saw seven law enforcement vehicles parked in a northwest parking lot. Of the seven vehicles, one of them was parked legally. Two of them were parked in front of the bollards, one beside the sidewalk. Three of them parked in accessible or handicapped parking stalls. I've seen this on multiple occasions. The vehicle's unattended, some of them still running. It appeared to me that they were at a meeting inside. The SUV's unmarked, so I don't know if it was EPS, RCMP, or what, but they were unmistakably law enforcement. I took pictures to verify. Kyle will take your word for it. He says there were easily a hundred open parking spots, just slightly less close to the doors. Now, given the PR crisis that law enforcement's been experiencing over the past few years, acutely over the past two years, this sends a terrible message to the citizens to be brazenly and repeatedly disregarding the very rules they expect the rest of us to follow. I was raised to respect authority, but with each passing year, I find that harder to sincerely pass that respect along to my kids. The entitled, the rules don't apply to me attitude of those charged with the essential duty of upholding the law seems to be a small indicator of a much greater problem. Can law enforcement please start acting like the good guys again? 
That's from Kyle. All right, what about this one from Daryl, who's still thinking about our interview with Alberta's Premier Danielle Smith last Tuesday, live here in the Real Talk studio. Daryl says Smith talked about addiction and mental health from the lockdown. She talks about how mental health and addiction contributes to crime. So her thought is to create a provincial law enforcement agency. You can't police mental health and addiction. It hasn't worked and it won't work. You can't just lock people up and expect that to solve the problem. Police don't prevent overdoses. Police don't prevent addiction. Police won't prevent or can't prevent rural crime. They rarely and often, though, make mental health crises worse because we're not equipped to deal with them and are oftentimes the last person a mentally unstable person wants to interact with. We need more supervised consumption sites. We need more affordable housing. None of this, which the Premier brought up in talking about addiction and mental health. We need to fix the root of the problem, not just punish the consequence of the problem. That from Daryl. And this from Brad, who says, Daniel Smith strikes me as closer to Jamie Soleil in temperament as opposed to that of a Premier. She doesn't strike me as Premier material. Her comments about Francois Legault, the Premier of Quebec on your show, Ryan, I can't see anything other than a nod to the separatist elements that broke off of her Wild Rose Party. Now, I have my bias, so I'll admit, I was hoping for a scathing ripper to shreds type interview, and maybe that wasn't a real expectation, but I'm frustrated with you, Jespo. You know, you go online, you read the comments of support that buy into her weaving tales. They hear underlying messages that she's not saying out loud, and it bugs the shit out of me, says Brad. I'm hoping for a resounding defeat that could force a party to find a standard of truth. Now, Brad and everybody else sent us an email by way of the connect link on our website, ryanjesperson.com, or directly to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We accept trash talk emails seven days a week. And, of course, we send it out in a special podcast podcast edition on Saturday. Coming up next week, we're going to take a look at that new uh, cabinet from the Premier. We expect to speak to the official opposition leader, still working with her team on that, and other issues that are making news across the country. We wouldn't be at 500 episodes without Woo! you, Real Talkers, and from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. We'll see you Monday. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepherd. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.